In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the internationally acclaimed OGGN HSE podcast heard in over 100 countries. If you appreciate this podcast, then thank and support our sponsor, Anderson Hauser. Anderson Hauser is a global leader in measurement instrumentation services and solutions for industrial process engineering. They provide process solutions for flow measurement, level, pressure, temperature analytics, and much more optimizing processes and efficiency, safety, and environmental impact. They serve many industries across the globe, including a focus in oil and gas, Anderson Hauser, the people for process automation. Today we have on the show Mr. John Vosniak. John, thanks for coming on the show today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much. Okay, so Vosniak, that's a good Polish name, right? <laughs> yeah, I- kid people and say it's English and then laugh and say Polish. So anyway, yeah, good Polish name. <laughs> Full-blooded. So where are you? I am in Houston, Texas, actually Tomball. So we don't want to tell anybody about Tomball because we like it so much up here. So anyway. Actually, if of course, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we're kind of proud of this. We are heard in over 100 countries and that's why we a lot of times we ask about geography because sometimes we do interview people in other countries, but the majority of our listenership, if you call it that, is in Houston. So they would know where Tomball is. Actually, my physical address is actually Montgomery. I tell everybody it's Conroe because Conroe forced annexed us. We are technically in the city limits, but we're out here in Lake Conroe. But I always just tell everybody I'm in Houston. So because people across the world, they know where Houston is, but your Houston audience is going to know where Tomball is and they are discovering Tomball more and more. <laughs> Folks are flocking out there like crazy. Yeah. So where I am, we call ourselves South Woodlands. Southwood. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> people might understand that as well, especially since Exxon now has its huge campus there in the Woodlands. And they just announced, I think it was this week, they're actually moving their corporate headquarters that's up in the Dallas or Irving area. They're actually moving it to that Woodlands campus as well. So. All right, John, let's get into this. I'm looking at your, you're the CEO and president of E3 Oil and Gas LLC and also another company called Illyria Energy Plus LLC. And then there's a third company that you've just newly formed that we're going to probably spend a lot of our time talking about. But I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile here and, and I'm really not sure why we have you on the show today because you don't have any oil and gas experience. <laughs> Only about, let's see here. What, 45 years or something like that? Don't remind me. Don't remind me. You've been a senior petroleum engineer and business development consultant. I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile with over 35 years of horizontal well reservoir drilling completions, production and engineered gas injection technology. As a matter of fact, according to this, you drilled the first horizontal well in the U.S.? Underbalanced. Okay. Non-rotary underbalanced. Okay. For those who don't know, and I'm a old drilling fluids engineer, actually a sales manager. I always told people, you don't want me being the drilling engineer on your rig. I got people for that, but I do know what underbalanced is, but you might want to explain that for the benefit of yeah. the audience. Sure. It's basically where we drill with the drilling fluid lighter in weight than the 
hydrocarbon or wellbore pressure. So it's a controlled blowout. Most times when you're drilling, you want a mud that's heavier than the uh, formation pressure to keep it in the formation and not allow it to escape. When you do that, you push fines and other things back into the pore throats that plug it up. So we actually did flow drilling where we drilled with water. The kilowatt mud was 14.2. You know, water's what, 8.2, 8.3? Anyway, right. so I always tease people. I, I'm originally from West Virginia. I started my drilling up there in Bradford, PA. I don't even think we used a blowout preventer. But so when I came to Houston, I always wanted to take a kick. So the first well I drilled, the John 1B of all things, were flow drilling. And we took a kick. We cut the fracture and had oil all the way up to the crown through the gas buster. And we had a flare that the owner of the well was smart enough to go and turn it out uh, to snuff it out because we had live, you know, methane and everything. But, you know, we were putting oil in the tank and shut her in and calculated the mud weight. And we went ahead and still had 50 pounds. We stripped out with 50 pounds on the casing side when we were coming out. So yeah, it was pretty neat. I got to do a lot of fun things like that. Okay. So John, it says here you hold the record for selling and managing the largest joint industry oil and gas project ever, 131 companies from 30 different countries. What's that all about? Well, been very fortunate in my career, Russell and one of the fortunes was to work with a man named Dr. Bill Maurer. Bill worked at ExxonMobil for 10 years, leading drilling research, and he opened his own firm, Maurer Engineering. When I came to Houston, I had four job offers, two in Houston, two in California, and I went to work with Schlumberger for the training. So when I told Dr. Maurer that I'd made the decision, he said, well, I'd made the right decision, but that wasn't my personality. He told me that I could always have a job at his facility or there anytime I wanted if I ever wanted one. So after about a year of working three weeks on, one day off as a production tester, 20-hour shifts, I called him and went to work for him after the first of the year. So he was doing a joint industry project with about eight participants, Exxon, Texaco, Chevron, and they were studying extended reach drilling, where you drill five, six miles from the platform. So they needed a torque and drag model. They developed one. I came on board and we had data on extended reach wells for about, I don't know, 60, 100 wells. And I loaded all those data into the computer program one at a time and ran the program and we calculated friction factors because that was the key to accuracy in predicting the loads out four and five miles. What is your friction factor was an input into the software. We're able to boil it down to four different parts of the world, Gulf of Mexico, I forget where other, MENA, South America, and California, because there were a lot of wells drilled in California. So just to finish that up, 131, when we did the Extended Reach project, the participants, the major oil companies said, hey, you guys did such a good job. Why don't you do one on horizontal drilling? Really, Ogip, the Italians really get a lot of credit because they did a lot of the early stuff at Rospo Mar in Italy. So we, anyway, put this project together just on drilling horizontal wells. And what you do is you put together a scope, you send it out to the oil and gas companies. But we had a good problem. Instead of getting 10, we got 20. 
in the consulting business, you never give money back, right? right so we exactly. expanded the scope. Yeah. So then we got to 50 and we had to do all facets, reservoir, completions, production. And then it was all said and done. We had 131 companies and I got to go around, been around the world two or three times with a Canadian buddy of mine that was a 1099 guy, very Bob Knowles, his name. Uh, he was a drilling superintendent, drilling engineer, geologist. So he and I went around the world two or three times teaching people how to drill horizontal wells. So, you know, 80% of all the wells are drilled horizontally now, don't you, Russell? Yep, absolutely. So, although I never associated Italy with horizontal well drilling. Yeah, Rospo Mar was the project name. Now you're getting into some gray area. That's been what, 35 years ago. But I bet you if you went in and Googled Rospo Mar, you'd, you'd find out. But yeah, it was funny because when we drilled that, when I took that kick in the Austin Chalk, Ajip wanted to partner with us to develop a drilling company. My boss couldn't get along with them. So we actually sold it to Beckfield and the geologist Ray Hollifield. So a lot of you 40 and 50 year old guy experienced people remember Ray Hollifield, a very successful and outspoken geologist in Midland and the Austin Chalk and places like that. So, man, I've got off on tangent. Sorry about that. Although I never associated Italy with horizontal drilling. Yes. If you Google Rospo Mar, I believe that's how they pronounce it, Mari, you'll see where they were credited with the first one of the earlier adopters of the technology. Well, that'd be a good place to go do some drilling, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, probably so. I'd like to be an expat over there for a year. There you go. Okay, we're going to put your LinkedIn URL in the show notes because there's a lot more impressive things here on your resume. I'm going to wind it up here. You've published over 40 technical papers and numerous others with SMEs. What's SMEs? Subject matter experts. Okay. All right. So folks, we got a real expert on the show here and, and I wanted to get him on here because he tells me, John, I was, and actually we use LinkedIn a lot and we appreciate LinkedIn. We don't have any financial interest in LinkedIn or sponsorship from LinkedIn, but that's how I met you. I was trolling on LinkedIn and it intrigued me. You mentioned that you can get more from your produced water than oil in your wells. <laughs> yeah, that gold, hydrogen, and lithium. So that's pretty deep stuff. So before we get into that, let me just tell you, if you'd like, a little bit about E3 and Illyria, and then we'll talk about rare earth recovery and where we're going there on the produced water. And also mine gob. You know what mine gob is, and then the other is acid mine drainage. So, you know, it's great being an independent operator because most of the time I was on the service side, right? And it was kind of like you were always being looked down to, looked down on. So I promised not to look down on any service companies. Matter of fact, the guys that drilled one of our wells or the crew and the other crew, the night crew, I cooked them lunch. I made them steaks one day because I know how hard they work. But yeah, it's amazing. One of the things that you'll see on my LinkedIn is that I invest in people. So this gentleman that I've known for over 20, 25 years, he actually was my roommate for about three or four months. Got to spend time with him, just 
been a friend of him, of his, and, you know, said hi. And he was an independent operator, you know, two, three, four barrel day wells. And we always kept in touch. And I was talking to him one day and I said, hey, I, I sold some real estate. You got any oil properties that I can get into? And he said, matter of fact, I do. I, I want to, you know, sell part of my holdings. So anyway, I took my rental house and the profit from that and invested into some wells in Polk County and the Wilcox and the Yagway formations. So, And Polk County's in East Texas, folks. Yeah, East Texas. That's right, about an hour from my house. So I can go and touch them and make sure they're doing what they're doing. So we're excited. We just hired a new pumper. My partner said that this pumper's done more in two weeks than the other guy did in three years. So really old production, 1920s when the field first started. So salt dome, really tricky geology. But yeah, we're growing our production levels, just got our gas line hooked up. So it's been fun and rewarding. And I've always dreamed of having an oil company. So we've done that. Now you're keeping everybody safe out there and protecting the environment? Oh, you know, at 100%, that's for sure. You know, one of the things we have to be because the EPA is flying drones over these oil fields, so they're really cracking down on these emissions. And we'll talk a little bit about that under rare earth recovery as well. So anyway, the point here is, is never give up on your dreams. I always wanted to own my own oil company and I've got that now. And it's really through the connections and the people that we meet where we really can do amazing things. And, you know, you talked about the people around me were the experts. I was just smart enough to have smarter people than me around me doing the work, you know, so that's how that goes. So, hey, we formed a company called Illyria Energy Plus and two things. One, somebody said, well, why plus? I'd say, well, we're the A plus company, but we want to do stuff with rare earth elements and use the produce water, but um, can't say too much about it. We just entered into a confidentiality agreement with a large company up there and we'll be doing some gas well work. A friend of mine owns a lease that's tied up in a unit and we're excited about doing some drilling up in the Marcellus. You know, those are pretty big wells, 10, 15 million, 20 million a day. So as a side note, when I was a production tester for Flow Patrol Johnson Slumberger, that's a old name there. I was on a team where we flowed 50 million cubic feet of gas a day. Now, I don't know if you've been around gas wells, but the rig was shaking. It's the only time I've never seen the rig hands not wanting to come out of the galley. It was just amazing. Flare was so big that all kind of marine life came. But I'm, I'm digressing. So anyway, yeah. So can I sell you some produced water, my friend? Well, so that's what I've, of course, you know, produced water is a huge environmental problem. So you're saying you formed this new company, Rare Earth Recovery. And so Rare Earth Elements, which you call REEs, and you're saying that research is showing that coal and produced water have billions of dollars of these rare earth elements? Yes, sir. I didn't want to cite any references today. I thought we'd keep it, you know, just kind of, you know, high level 30,000 feet view. But yes, there have been studies, economic studies done on a gob pile in Kentucky that said that there's 1.8 billion 
dollars of rare earth elements in that coal gob and coal refuse around that plant. So, and that's not even the good coal we fill up in the Pittsburgh seam and up around there in northern West Virginia, where I came from, should contain as much or, or more of these rare earth elements. So now there are really three issues. One is produced water. So right now, bio-leaching of water for lithium is something that is state-of-the-art right now. As you know, a lot of these rare earth elements come from other countries. So it's really strategic that we develop lithium for batteries and other things. And it does turn out that there is lithium in some of these produced waters. Now, the other thing that's found in produced water is called gold hydrogen. And I'm not an expert. I'm just beginning research on that. But there's gray and there's green and there's blue hydrogen. But, you know, what's happening is is they're converting hydrogen into bioethylene. So it's kind of a closed loop factory, right? You know, you produce oil, the water, you reclaim and, you know, bring out these elements and Even there's microbes in the water that can be injected back into the reservoir. So I'm kind of getting off on a tangent. So produce water and then coal gob, that's where the $1.8 billion economic assessment was done in Kentucky. And then acid mine drainage. Being from West Virginia, I keep up. And by the way, my partner in Elyria is my minerals lawyer up in West Virginia. So he and I are partners there. But Senate Bill 4003, I believe, was just passed or is on the way to the Senate to be passed, where the government, West Virginia, will pay to clean up. It's really talks, let me read it. It talks about commercial benefits of substances removed of waters of the state by treatment of mine drainage. So there's a bill that's going to give tax credits to go in and clean these acid mine drainage. So, well, yeah, we've had this and we've cleaned it up. Well, there's still problems, but see, now there's an economic benefit because in this acid mine runoff, you know, acid can be stripped. Acid is used in a lot of industrial processes. But these other rare elements, lithium, just so many other elements, I can't even pronounce them all. There are so many. So anyway, uh, we're real excited about rare earth recovery. Wanted to talk, give a shout out to some Vita factory. They're doing a lot of this work already, and we're hoping to work with them. They're looking at our produced water in Texas. We hope to bring them some gob samples and hope to do some things with them on acid mine drainage. A bunch of PhDs and master's folks. They already have one of these in Denver, bioleaching. And also they're doing some work also with Oxy on a big project. Okay. So let me see if I can bring this into 
focus for the purpose of this podcast. So first of all, when you talk about oil and gas, all right, and you talk about the EPA flying drones over and looking for emissions and all this sort of thing. So when we think about the environment, oil and gas drilling, that's bad. When you mention things like acid mine drilling from an environmental standpoint, first reaction is that's bad. You talk about produced water and, you know, if you spill produced water, I mean, that kills all the vegetation. That's bad. So what's the environmental impact or the environmental benefit that we're talking about here? Well, there's a tremendous amount of environmental impact. We're capitalist in this country, right? So if there's not an economic reason to recover and clean something up, then, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, there's still problems out there. So what happens is we can take methane, for instance. There's no reason why we need to flare. We can pump that methane or strip it into carbon monoxide and inject it back into the reservoir and actually produce more oil and gas. So and be environmentally friendly in the process. Yeah, instead of flaring, you know, to the environment, let's run it through a big gas processor, process what we can, the good stuff and send it down hole. The other thing we can make biofluids and you know, we could strip out salt, we can strip out elements, but it's like a big factory, right? And we're able to exchange clean air from the removal of these elements and processes through that. Now, let me jump off here and say we have to watch as oil people, like you, know, like you said, oil and gas is bad, produce water is bad. Well, the proper handling of these fluids is not bad and it's essential. Now, I want to give a lot of credit to Chris Wright of Liberty Fracking and Liberty Midstream. Chris should be the president of the United States because the real problem that we have is that deforestation and the burning of the forest is what's happening in Africa and other parts of the undeveloped world, right? Well, if we could get them ethane or get them propane where they can use gas stoves, okay, then they can be able to feed themselves better. And then they can grow and help themselves out of poverty. Okay. That is exactly so, right. You're preaching to the choir. In fact, my last podcast, I mentioned some of these things in general, and you're actually you're helping make my point here. Yeah. So, and Chris, you know, he's really involved in it. So, and the other thing is that 99% of everything around us, on us, in us is made from a petroleum product. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, you know, Chris likes to keep it light when he does talks. This guy's brilliant. He's from MIT and Stanford and, you know, whatever. And yeah, I mean, he did a spoof on one of these companies because all what they sold and made billions of dollars with, they didn't want anything to do with the oil industry. Well, it turned out that 100% of their product was made out of oil and gas. Exactly. Exactly. Sounds like I need to have Chris on the podcast. Well, I'll tell you what, we need to 
put together. I think he'd be a good president. I don't know if he'd want the job or not. But <laughs> he's very well spoken. Uh, he'll be at the Permian Basin SPE get together here, I think in February with the West Side group. But anyway, I should mention that. But Society of Petroleum Engineers, again, you know, give a lot of credit to them. And anyway, so to pull this back, the plus in Elyria, now we thought maybe we'd do a lot of the rare earth or something underneath Elyria, but it's best, you know, to have a company that focuses on something. And that's what we did at Maury Engineering. Bill had 20 companies. I was in five of them. So, you know, I'm getting a little long in the tooth. And I want to invest in people. So these companies that we're developing, we're looking for CEOs or presidents that can slide in there in a couple, two or three years. And, you know, we'll teach them how to grow businesses and, you know, we can do other things. But, you know, there's so much brain power out there and collaborating. Matter of fact, I just got off of a call where we're thinking about doing a joint or proposing a joint industry project where we start characterizing these waters. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if the, I don't know, Berea sandstone, all that reservoir water, you know, contains a trillion dollars worth of lithium. I mean, you know, so think big and you know who knows, but we're working on it right now. So anyway, bring this back together, Russell. I'm sorry. I've kind of gotten off on a tangent there. Yeah, we're going to bring this to a close here in just a second. But some of these things you're talking about are really fascinating. I love the principle of, again, and this was always the elephant in the room, you know, and this was where they got their reputation for the big, bad, you know, greedy oil companies and oil people and all that sort of thing. And they didn't want to spend the, you know, they messed up the environment and they didn't care about safety. And the reason was they didn't want to spend the money. And Again, good old American ingenuity and capitalism. We're figuring out how to make money by being actually more safe. We figured that out. We figured out it's a lot more cost effective to be safe and environmentally friendly at the same time. I think this is great news. I wish you guys all the luck in the world. I'm glad that I got to meet you. I hope we stay in touch because I want to see where this goes. This is very fascinating extracting all of this out of produced water and, and out of coal. As we get ready to sign off here, any parting comments? Yeah, I think just be creative when you see a problem instead of throwing your nose at it, see if you can make some money out of it. And, you know, one of the things is that we really need to educate people and people need to educate themselves. I was in Santa Barbara, which is beautiful, on an oil rig. I told the guy he had oil overboard. There was a sheen on the water. And he said, no, that's just from a natural seat. It turns out that there's more oil that's naturally seeped in the ocean, that there's more of that than all of the oil that's ever been spilled. So let's come up with some kind of idea to go in and stop these seeps or produce these seeps or do something and not pollute the internet. That's a good problem for somebody. So a good scientist, there's one for you. Go out and stop these seeps and produce the oil and we'll have a better environment as well. Absolutely. And that's what we're definitely working to. And I hope we do. And that's obviously one of the goals of this podcast is to better educate folks on these sort of things. And as I said in my last podcast, if you want sustainability, then you need oil and gas to sustain the environment and to sustain our standard of living. So, John, maybe we'll come back in a few months and see how y'all are coming with this rare earth elements extraction 
project. I wish you all the luck in the world. As I already said, for folks who want to reach out to you, we'll be sure to include your LinkedIn contact information. And I guess your website, you have websites to all these. I'm sure we can put those in the show notes as well. And again, I want to thank everyone for listening and remind you that this podcast would not be possible if it were not for our sponsor, Anderson Hauser. Please tell them thank you for sponsoring the show by going to our OGGN Anderson Hauser website, which you can find a link to in the show notes as well, and register for our monthly giveaway. Also, follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter, and that contact info you can find in the show notes. Please leave us a review on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you use. That really helps us out. And tune in again next week for another episode of Anderson Hauser's Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Anderson Hauser is your reliable U.S. and international-based partner for measurement, instrumentation, services, and solutions. We are your people for process automation. We'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.